0: and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. And I'm Danielle Moody.
2: And we started last week talking about High on the Hog, the Netflix special about Black food. And we wanted to go deeper into that because we both love Black food so much. And actually, you know, interestingly, I just went to a friend's house, a white friend's house who cooked, um, he said he was a very good cook, and Mm -hmm, he made... mm -hmm. um, Fried chicken and waffles for everybody. And the fried chicken was good. I let him know before we got there. High pressure, you're making fried chicken for a black man. You better like step it up and come correct. Um, the chicken was good, crunchy. I hate to validate stereotypes, but it was not sufficiently seasoned seasoned it didn't have enough salt there probably could have been more pepper there could have been more garlic powder there could have been more onion powder it could have had like a more like a a more what
1: what was on it because you named all the things it could have had was there something that was on it that stood out
2: um I don't know, I don't know that there was any seasoning on it. I think it was just fried and like presented fried
1: in and... what though I mean but like and... flour, yes, I get it, yeah. but like nothing you you don't know, did they use butter? like did they use buttermilk? What did they, they do? they probably oh, you used... weren't there for that I wasn't there.
2: I wasn't there let me let me let me <sighs> you know, what I really want to do is talk about New Orleans because New Orleans for me. Is mm-hmm. the and Memphis, but really New Orleans is where I have gotten the best black food that I've ever had in my life. Um, um I, you know, there's there's the gumbo down there is mm-hmm. extraordinary. Um and um God, what is the name of that restaurant? Um oh my god, there's a restaurant. This is
1: the one place that I've never been.
2: Oh, wow. I I mean, like, that
1: I do want to go only for the food, only for the culture of it.
2: You could have um, um, an amazing, just like, food tour. We went to this amazing Dookie Chase. We went to this amazing sandwich shop that the locals told us to go to. But Dookie Chase is Mm -hmm. one of the greatest restaurants, perhaps, in the country. Mark Morial took me there and the chicken was i mean like everything was perfect the the chicken the biscuits the every everything everything and it is it was it was just the the three times i've eaten there stand out in the memory like like you know like there's certain places like like the first time i went to nobu the first time i went to dookie chase like oh god you know the first time i had like gumbo that was perfect like oh god
1: because there's something about showcasing your culture and using food. There is something about perfecting. And like when you mentioned Nobu, I think about like how I've never had fish that was like cleaner. And I don't mean clean as in clean, but just like where it's so pure and so perfectly sliced that you feel like you're transported someplace. And I think that what's interesting with regard to high on the, high on the hog is that when you watch these other food shows, right, you're often inundated with a lot of European chefs, right? Who makes the Michelin chef, who does all of these things. And it's usually largely white, largely male, very few women sprinkled in. And so you don't get a ton of, I feel like connection to the places that you're in. And because there's not a lot of culture and ethnicity, it's just like, oh, this person is a great chef because they're French and they trained under so-and-so. I think the beauty of shows like High on the Hog is that you get transported to a place and there's a history that it's connected to it. And it isn't just about um, the skill of the thing, because that is, of course, important, but it's really about the story behind it. Right. Like when I was watching that show, there are so many things about America I didn't know. Right. And you're learning it through the plate. Like you're learning it as he's moving from these different places, starting in starting in Benin, but then moving into the Americas and back again. you, You felt like you were learning through eating. And you wanted to go to these places and you had a different respect now as I'm walking to go look at Carolina, Carolina Gold Rice and like understanding the history behind that.
2: I mean, you know, I guess it's my knowledge of and I don't claim to be an expert, but what I know about the history of black food that makes it so much more rich and important to me and the ancestry that it connects me to um, slavery, post-slavery, you know, the fifties, all that sort of stuff. Like it it connects me to, you know, my grandparents, my ancestors, you know, the, the chicken, the collards. I mean, I think about my grandmother who's passed away, who grew up in Alabama. I think she was one of like 12 children or something like that. Um, she made, Thanksgiving dinner for the first like 15 16 years of my life we would go to her house in in New York in Westchester and she would make the dinner and her biscuits were the thing that I really remember <laughs> I mean like she had this amazing turkey gravy that just made every turkey taste amazing but the biscuits were just so perfectly fluffy and yet crispy and yet like the perfect warmth and it was always like about those biscuits and it's a side piece, but it's so central. And, you know, it, it, I felt this connection and this transportation to Alabama and where she Mm -hmm. had come from and whoever she had carried those recipes forward from.
1: You know, what I always find really interesting, particularly when I travel is that the things that I always want to try It seems that in every country they're like, oh, well, that's the food that like the workers eat or the peasants eat or like these people eat. But like you should also try X, Y and Z. And I find that the foods that have made it um, into a lot of our everyday life are foods that were considered like working food. And when I think about black, like black American food, I think about like how little folks had to make something so delicious right? Like you think about like how little, how little you were given and how much you were able to make with it. um, And it's just, I, I don't know, there's something really beautiful about that. And I think too, when you're talking about like particular item that transports you. So my family, as folks know, are, is Jamaican. And so when I think of black food, you know, I think that you have like there is it's very expansive because for me, black food is Jamaican food. Whenever I smell it walking around in Brooklyn or I'm home with my family, it just brings back all of these memories Um, and like all of this history. Like, how did you learn how to make this? And it's a way to kind of take a journey with family that is really important and exciting. And that's what I felt like watching this show. It's like you're taking this journey with like the entirety of the black community. And you're all getting to experience this thing that we have different attachments to, but as a collective. And like the history that was taken from us is exactly what makes the show so special is them bringing it back, right? Like we all have these, oh, we love macaroni and cheese. We love fried chicken. We love this. And don't necessarily know why each of our families make these things. Uh, And I think that the way that it's presented here Yeah, it's just, like, the connectivity that you've been missing.
2: I've spent a bunch of time in Jamaica, and I love Jamaica so much. Um, Bunch of time at Rock House, bunch of time at other places. And, um, you know, I remember walking down the road and going to, like, the tiniest little shack on the side of the road and, like, give me a lobster and some french fries and a red stripe and it's like (laughs) two people in there and you can see like you know it's just made for you because they don't do fast food because like three people come in here for lunch a day so like we made this just for you and it's super fresh and um you just feel so connected to the people and the place and the culture I think you were when you're talking about working people food. um, You made me think about sauces, and I think a lot of times Mm. working folks will add a lot of sauces to their food because it makes the food seem to like last longer and like like fill up more and like less can see more if there's a great thick sauce with it. And Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's something about a killer sauce that will just destroy me. I mean, like, I keep coming back to New Orleans, but, like, the po' boys in New Uh, Orleans and, like, it's like, give me extra gravy and you're like, you know, give me a little meat with the gravy and you're, like, dipping it in the gravy and, like, you know, it's just all over you. It's... it's, The sauce is the thing that crushes you. Like, anybody can make some chicken, but the sauce... (laughs) That comes with it that, like, just that's what destroys you.
1: I feel like you missed your calling as a food critic. I don't think. Like, I feel deal. like no. I feel like the way in which you were describing New Orleans through the food makes me feel crazy that I have never visited. it.
2: You have to visit and you could just go on a food crawl and just go to the gumbo shop, and then the fried chicken shack, and then the this and the that, and Dookie Chase, and whatever, and just be so happy. Memphis is also extraordinary for great, great food. I went to a great fried chicken place in Memphis that, because, you know, like, yeah, okay, Vine, it's up to you, but like, you know, if it's too crunchy, it's too much, right? But if it's not Crunchy, no, oh. no,
1: you can. I love a good crunch. No, I love. It. I, I want, I want some crunch, but crunch. not
2: too much crunch, right? Like there's a midpoint where it's like this is the perfect crunch, right? And like you, you have a, you have a, you, when you have a duality of taste going on, so you crunch the 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 outer, but then the chicken is cooked, so it's like the so you get the two different textures at once. That's right, because if the outside is too soggy. And it's not enough <laughs> but
1: it, uh, let me let me ask you this why did your friend the white friend that you went that made dinner? <laughs> why do you think they were compelled to do a chicken and and waffle? so is it their specialty? I, I
2: don't know if it I, I don't know if it's their specialty um it it was a brunch group like we were coming together around a brunch time <laughs> on a Sunday, so like you know it made sense to do. Some chicken and waffles. I guess this person felt, um, you know, uh, very confident. Sort of like, and I can serve Did this. Did this
1: happen to be last Saturday? Was it also on Juneteenth? Or? No, it
2: was not. No, no, not on Juneteenth. <laughs> <not on YouTube. laughs> Let me tell you one of the great places to experience our cuisine. And I brought this up last week, I know. But the National... Museum of African-American History and Culture. Mm. I mean, like, the history section is amazing. You know, that like, the, the rest of the museum is amazing. But the food court, they did not skimp a detail. If memory serves, there's four different regions of, of black, of African-American cuisine that are highlighted. And there's, so there's four different stations where you can go. And, like, multiple options within them. So you get the full range of, like, southern mid-atlantic um what are the four regions i want to look it up and make sure i get it right um
1: i know that's what i'm doing because i wanted to because i know it
2: um it's i mean like you have like if you're gonna go there you have oh here we go if you're gonna go there you have to spend some time um on the in in the food court because it's a it's an important part of the whole situation, um let me
1: ask you something. do you think that there is something that white Americans are particularly connected to as it pertains to food that has like is is there is that what also makes black people so incredibly extraordinary because the food is well, so embedded in our culture see, and that I mean, and this is the thing that is that is a a dividing force for us is that there? whiteness is a construct. There's no culture there. So there's nothing that they're.
2: Yeah, no, I think the answer is sort of embedded in the question in that, uh, you know, which we've talked about before that whiteness in terms of culture is not equivalent to blackness. There is no white culture. There is absolutely black culture that is meaningful, uh, meaningful to us that we would agree upon that. Transports us, um, music, food, you know, language, etc. There is no white culture now. There is an extraordinarily rich Italian American culture. Uh, you know, and Italian American food is fantastic. You know, uh, g- Greek American food is fantastic. Uh, you know, we could go through. You know, French American cuisine. But
1: let's think about the Paula Deens of the world who Southern cooking, I'm just, I'm Southern cooking is how, is what they're claiming. That is like, but Southern, they say Southern cooking and we say that is soul food or, you know, or black American food. And they're like, no, this is, this is Southern cooking. And there, that would be considered what they're claiming.
2: I don't know. I am not a food historian. Okay. But I would throw down that there that 99% of what we know as Southern cuisine comes Mm -hmm. from black people and that number may be low. So, I mean, even that you have the face of a Paula Dean creating something, you're making black food. You were taught that by black people. Surely, you know, black people who do it better than you. You know, you're just a white face presenting black cuisine but like it's it's all you know colonel sanders was presenting black cuisine now wait now wait do you do you eat fried chicken or you're a vegetarian
1: i eat fried chicken
2: so which is better Mm -hmm. kfc and i know we're in the fast food realm right i get that but kfc Mm -hmm. or popeyes
1: popeyes really Popeyes yeah. has more
2: crunch, but I used to be addicted to KFC. I'm so KFC. That
1: like food. I get that they came out with it. You know, they have like they're extra crunchy and all of those things. And but anytime I th- even when I think about the the KFC just sounds soggy, right? Like the soggy chicken. Like see, that's if, what if, see, I. It's old, with-
2: and by old I mean it's been sitting on the rack for ten minutes. Then it's going to have that sog. But if you say this is how ridiculous I am, if you ask for it from the hot chest, then it will have a little more <laughs> crisp to it because it's newer and it's being kept warmer. But yes, Popeyes is better at the crunch. Pa- KFC is more it's better at soft. all of it.
1: The crunch, the seasoning, like every like all of it. The crunch, the seasoning. There is no real comparison. There. So
2: this is one thing that's been going around on the Twitter. Olive Garden, and we're a little out of the realm of black culture with this one, but Olive Garden versus Red Lobster.
1: Um, I'm going to say something that probably is going to make me come off bad, but I couldn't tell you the last time that I was in fucking either of them. And so that being the case, um, I don't live in a chain restaurant district. It would be unfair of me to pass judgment. Maybe they have expanded in their palette, over the last two decades uh,
2: fair in new york there's a lot less of that um in brooklyn we definitely are not inundated with that there's more individualistic stores um although you know my mom lives in boston i have been to olive garden i have been to red lobster red lobster is superior
1: <laughs> look at toray he's just like us I, am sub- I have
2: suburban culture in me, not just New York City. I don't oh, just oh. New York City, fly to Jamaica, fly back to New York. I don't know nothing about the suburbs. <laughs> I'm Danielle. I'm too good for the eggs. I grew
1: up in I've the suburbs. I've never been to the mall. But I'm that, a is, city kid. But is strip, call, is strip mall considered suburban culture? Absolutely. Like is strip mall food? I guess that's suburban Absolutely. culture. Absolutely. That sounds terrible. Maybe that's why I left. I'm not
2: saying it's good. I'm saying it is what it is.
1: Okay. Great. Well, I would miss that debate. I wouldn't be able to offer my thoughts between red lobster and the olive garden, but I also think that that's comparing apples to oranges because it's two completely different cuisines.
2: This show is part of the.
1: From the New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions. Questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that forced David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold.
0: Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities. Healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor thin margins. Listen to Build the Change Now wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Democracy podcast coalition.
1: The midterms are coming and it's more important than ever that we protect and fix our elections.
2: We all know that our government is broken. Politicians spend more time working for themselves, their big donors and their political party instead of for us.
1: We as Americans have had enough of the corruption, partisan bickering and gridlock. Look, I get that all the nonsense makes you want to tune out, but I'm here to tell you there's reason for hope. Our political system is broken now, but we can fix it. That's why we've partnered with Represent
2: Us a nonpartisan grassroots organization that has helped notch more than 160 victories to improve our elections and give power back to the voters where it belongs.
1: Right now, until November, there are many, many ways you can get involved. Represent Us is working in cities and states to pass good government policies like ranked choice voting. And they're also recruiting folks to help staff the polls.
2: Let's protect our elections now and for generations to come.
1: Visit represent.us slash pod to learn more. That's represent.us slash pod.
2: My grandmother used to make the best mashed potatoes and and it had some lump and texture in it and some skin in it right so like 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 you you could grab it with a fork you know like if you grab with your hand it shouldn't sort
1: of, you be able to do that
2: well some people make it fairly soft so if you grabbed it with a fork it would slip through the slats so you need a spoon for it some people right if it's too soft if it's too like sort of mixed right so it becomes like like mush like the consistency of like baby food but like when it's like thicker it's like oh that's the Best. But you you can a hundred percent tell the difference between white people and black people because white people will serve you mashed potatoes and without gravy, and they're like, "We can can you just eat the mashed potatoes?" I'm like, "Do so you have mashed potatoes without <laughs> gravy? Like what? How did how did that happen?"
1: I just it probably shouldn't <laughs> it shouldn't,
2: happen. It shouldn't, <laughs> it shouldn't
1: happen. It shouldn't happen.
2: It shouldn't happen.
1: That shouldn't happen. <laughs> I think that that I don't know. I yeah. I. No. Baked potato.
2: You prefer a baked you potato to a No, no, mash? no.
1: If you are not going to do the proper pairing, that is like a peanut butter sandwich, right? You want peanut butter and jelly. So mashed potatoes, one would assume gravy. If you cannot indeed make a gravy, and I feel like I'm doing a law and order defense, if you cannot afford a gravy, then one will be a provided, will be provided, you. provided no. to you but, by the courts. <laughs> by the courts. No, then you should just microwave a baked potato and give that to people my
2: god that takes an hour microwaving a baked potato
1: it like takes eight hour. minutes i don't know what kind of microwave you're using an
2: eight eight minutes what are you talking about we put it in the oven for like it takes like an hour for yes
1: minutes. in
2: an oven My god eight minutes why do you even have a microwave what is wrong with you a microwave my god your stomach must be i pity your stomach a microwave my goodness
1: what are you Amish? Are you like? Do you not use electricity? In we your have own? a toaster oven, and we take our time with the
2: food. I mean, oh like, look at supporting. you slowing
1: down! How wonderful! Yeah, I'm okay. glad you have all the time in the world to make a potato. You know, Some of children, us you know, why are, you are fighting for? oppression. What are you
2: rushing <laughs> for to get back to Wokf? I got another show tomorrow. Oh my god, we gotta get through this lunch fast to so get back to woke AF. Ah! yeah. There's no mo- mommy. Make me, mommy, mommy, mommy. What oh kind God, of episode will this up, mommy. And no parent has never thought, shut the fuck up. You may not say it, but you've thought, shut the fuck up.
1: Oh my God.
2: It's real. Struggle's real. It is not. <laughs> Struggle's real.
1: You are a struggle. Is there least. something
2: on the traditional black soul food table. Think about all the stuff that you get. That you're like, "Eh,
1: I don't fuck with that. I don't love everybody's collard greens. I don't like collard greens as a green. I don't want anybody's
2: collard greens.
1: But I also don't. I just don't. I don't like them.
2: I don't like them either. I don't like collards at all. I don't feel hurt. I think they taste
1: like dirt. I will go on this show, Just continue on
2: I wouldn't go that far But I was 100% thinking of collard greens And I'm like I will always pass up your collard greens Like it's just It's not happening I'm not putting it on my plate I'm not going to pretend Because to if it.
1: It, it's not something that If it's a little bit bad Like it's still okay It's not pizza It's like if it's a little bit bad Like you want to vomit
2: <laughs> Wow not It's, worth, not, it's not a risk worth taking It's not a risk worth taking It's not a risk worth taking, a risk worth taking. Wow Wow. I'm not big on mac and cheese either.
1: Are you a terrorist?
2: <laughs> this is the second time today I get called a terrorist. I, I don't know. What's what else did the- you
1: say that sounded insane?
2: Well, Mark Lamont Hill was was killing me for hating on his 76ers and the big L that they took. But that's a whole nother story. Um, Yeah,
1: I don't know. It's so,
2: I
0: don't
1: Delicious? know. Oh. Noodles that hold both milk and cheese, and the you know creaminess, and I love, the levels of cheese and flavor.
2: I that's love, a black that
1: is a black soul staple, no, and people have think. competitions for this. 100%. Like, and I, it's a serious thing.
2: I love um, rigatoni bolognese, right? Italian dish that is just when it's done right, it is just perfect. I, the first time I went to Italy. They made that for me, and it was like, this is heaven on a plate. And it's and it's creamy, and it's meaty, and it's just everything. Mac and cheese is its cousin, and
1: I'm like, eh, I don't know. Mac and cheese is not its cousin. How's it not? It's a noodle dipping. in What kind in of sauce. comparison are you making? What are you talking between about? Between macaroni cheese and a bolognese? Yeah, what, I mean, like, there's no
2: meat, obviously, in the mac and cheese. But how are they not cousins? They're, they're both noodles with stuff with cr- cheese or cream on top of them. It's just, and and usually you put cheese on the bolognese.
1: Why don't we throw in, you know, like a lo mein as well, and say that that's really kind of like macaroni and cheese's cousin? Do you see how ridiculous that sounds? That's how ridiculous well, this comparison. You
2: sound sounds. ridiculous all the time, but I don't see how you're saying mac and cheese and rigatoni <laughs> are not similar and i'm just saying i recognize that they're similar and one i would like travel for if you said that they make really good rigatoni i'm like okay i will drive two hours to try that and mac and cheese i'm like i don't know i'm good i'm good i'm good i don't know just me i'm weird
1: you are and i think that you're gonna have less friends after this show
2: you didn't have to agree with that And you might have less friends after the show. I mean,
1: I'm pretty sure people will judge the collared green remark. Oh,
2: no. I'm pretty Uh, sure. Oh, no, I meant one less friend. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about the people out there. They seem to love you. I see your comments. (laughs) Their comments are always, Danielle, you're so on point. Danielle, you argued that so well. Danielle, you speak for the people. Toray was there also.
1: But I see you. I see <laughs> your was go. there also. They mention you.
2: They mentioned uh, me that I was present at the recording.
1: But Danielle.
2: Woo! They love you. Our fans
1: love.
2: You. It's pathetic. I don't
1: know if they will love this particular episode, but I appreciate the love. It's And I'm sorry that tour. You know, it's
2: it's nice. like it's like mommy and daddy. It really is. They the kids love the little kids especially Do you, love. You ever see mommy. those, Daddy? Who Daddy? Where is it? Did
1: you see those that challenge where yes. the kids would be put in the middle and yes. the parents were said to like walk first off? First of
2: all, first of all, first of all, and I've choose seen which it.
1: parent they would go with. I have
2: not watched any of those guys. I think that whole idea is cruel for the children in like making them in a heartbeat choose which parent they're going to run after. I think that is cruel i think it is sad i i i can't even watch i i whenever i see them setting up for that i i flick onto the next i'm like no i can't watch that it's so cruel
1: i mean you're not running they didn't get in a car tour Ray, and like drive off they like literally ran within eye shot i mean it, if that is the the trauma that you're worried about exposing your child No. I
2: mean little Um, kids, if you little kids having a moment have choose where do I go with mommy or daddy? Like that's a traumatic moment.
1: So you wouldn't play this game with your children when
0: you
2: I would not play the game with my children. I know my daughter would go with my wife.
1: My son
2: (laughs) would
0: hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves, real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts.
2: He might walk with me. He might run after her. I don't know what he'd do. He probably wouldn't run in either direction. He'd just be staring at his phone like, are you guys done? Can we go back home?
1: Yeah. Well, no. I think that kids have a natural, you know, maneuver with parents. But I also think it's not torture. I thought it was funny. It was a great challenge. And then there were some kids that didn't choose either of the parents and like sat down.
2: So what are you saying that everybody runs after mom?
1: It was like nine times out of ten.
2: They run with mom.
1: Yeah. She's usually the one providing the most. I mean. Food, a person to talk to, all the things. Stereotypically, yeah. I mean,
2: stereotypically, yes. Mom is, is, is better able to do all the emotional labor. She's the first friend. She's the first one you bond with and get tight with. And that bond remains. And like, yeah, I fully respect that, which is partly why I don't want to do the challenge because I'm probably going to lose and I really don't want to put myself out there like that. What? Did you see, I know you saw this performative white woman crying challenge. What? Oh, you haven't seen this? Oh, girl. This is what are you, on- you saying? TikTok right now white woman cry and make it look convincing and then like 10 seconds in they're like change it up and they like stop crying on a dime and like have this wry smile like gotcha and like performative white woman tears and it's like this is Shocking and traumatizing and terrifying because we know white woman tears have gotten people killed, have gotten people incarcerated, have gotten people beaten up, have gotten people arrested, have gotten people canceled. And like they're all just showing, like, look, I can fake the fuck out of these tears. Watch me. Like, it's scary as fuck.
1: That actually sounds really evil. It is. And when you just put in all, yeah. Oh, God. Now all of the men who's been lynched names coming through my mind right now. Yeah. And, that you know, but that's the whole thing that all goes back to the Karen and not necessarily crying, but always going to be in fear for your life. And the fact that what is that something that they passed down in school? Did we not that clearly wasn't taught? It was like an extracurricular. I don't
2: think it's even passed down in schools. I think that you I think at a fairly young age, they see that their crying, their fragility, their moment of weakness and needing to be protected will galvanize everybody around them. Um, you know, even if you are dead wrong, you start crying, white women start crying, the whole temperature of the room will change. Everything will change in your favor. Um, you know, and you, you learn it, and early that you have that power at a fairly early age and you clearly they know how to whip it out at the right moment
1: yeah that just seems i mean that's just another way to weaponize whiteness and then you're combining in the femininity and the fact that you know all of those incidents that you're talking about have come in with the idea of white men coming into rescue, right. To be the savior in that way, the damsel in distress, the whole, you know, concept around that. And that is, I hate that game. I never want to see it. Um, I don't know why anybody would make that up and play it and think that that was great.
2: I don't know why they think that this is a fun thing to do. I mean, I don't know. I guess like they're so in touch with their emotions that they can fake them. On a dime. And like, is that
1: you trying to play devil's advocate? Cause that, no, I don't that. think
2: it's cool at all. I'm trying to see, like, why would you even show me that you have this superpower to be able to cry and make me really believe that you're really sad and upset? And it's total performance because you can snap your fingers at a second and change. And this isn't like actresses. This is like regular white girls on TikTok. Like, let me show you how much I can cry and then poof make it go away. And like, it's scary.
1: It sounds like a part of get out. It is scary. Totally. I don't want totally. the weaponizing of, of whiteness and totally. You
2: know, and nobody, even, this is
1: why I'm not on TikTok. And a lot I just want to, if it's not stupid dances, then I don't want to be involved.
2: A lot of people maybe didn't have the language of this before Amy Cooper, but that moment opened a lot of people's eyes. I think you're starting to see it with the, but all the Karen videos, mm-hmm. um, but the Amy Cooper moment really like expanded people like, oh, look at her in her natural habitat lying her ass off, claiming to be vulnerable.
1: Because you got to see both sides of it. Yeah. You got to hear whatever, you know, the the person, the operator, the 911 operator on the other side was hearing. And then the fearing for my life, While well, you're standing so far away. You're holding this dog by the neck, literally, you know, which she got back and suing her job and all of that stuff. But you're seeing like the 911 operator is not going to say, well, ma'am, you don't really sound like you're fearing for your life. Right. And then being held accountable. But then the idea again. But it's it's always that's the get out of jail free card here in America. White women's tears. It
2: sure is. And it's super scary. Super scary. Um, thank you for listening to Democracy-ish. I'm Torre.
1: I'm Danielle Moody, and this was a Stream of Consciousness.
2: It was a Stream of Conscious show, but we'll be back next week if white women's tears allow
1: it. Or we don't drown in them.